Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Who would have known 2,900 square feet could feel so big? Some people have houses bigger, and we fit a lot of people in here, so that's exciting. Well, hey, my name is Trey. I get to be the pastor here, and um, this is our second official week here, which is crazy. Uh, last week was really bare bones, uh, but this week was great. We had a bunch of people literally just painting really crisp lines on the wall and um, just cleaning and dusting, and as my voice, I've been in the rafters for the last two days, and I've eaten a lot of dust, <coughs> so... I apologize if uh, I sound a little hoarse, but maybe it makes me sound like more emotional, I don't know, more spiritual or something. Like I'm always going to break into tears or something. Um, well, hey, we are, we're continuing our series in Matthew, and uh, it's funny, Alec came up here and told a story. Thank you, Alec. Um, and had no idea, I, bonus points, because you mentioned Matthew in, your, uh, Matthew in your story, and we've been going through Matthew literally forever. So um, we are in week, I think, 32 of Matthew. Um, if you're sick of it uh, yet, we still have another 30, 40 weeks, but, um, so I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it was so cool, like, literally, starting with, talking about Matthew 7, um, talking about this, this narrow road, and today it's so fitting, because we're talking about, is that mine, are we good? I don't know, all right, all right, honestly, what we're talking about is, uh, I hold the bottom of a mic sometimes. That's my problem. It doesn't sound as loud. Louder? A little bit louder? Cool. Okay, you're good. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, this is a preview Sunday, so this is what happens. Yes, who knew that all the hours we put in, it wasn't perfect. Um, Yeah, so anyways, we're continuing Matthew and talking about this narrow road. Today we're talking about persecution as following Jesus. And uh, it's fitting because when you think about persecution, like I I literally want you to take a second. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about this. If you follow Jesus, think about a time, like, where you feel like you experienced real persecution. Like, where you felt like, man, I'm being, I'm being either judged, mocked, hated, whatever, for my faith. Think about it. I thought about it in my life, and, like, I, to be honest with you, I mean, I had a really hard time thinking of anything that I felt like was actually substantial. And, and maybe that's because, like Alec was saying, maybe it's like, oh, you, if you grow up maybe in a relatively healthy household, you know, maybe you don't have these crazy experiences. But I also think it has a lot to do with living in the U.S. We, have, we don't have this problem of, like, I'm a Christian and now people are, can kill me. We have this problem where I'm a Christian and now I can be lazy or bored or terrified of what people think of me. It's as if social stigma is just as powerful as physical death in other countries, where you go to China, and there's more Christians in China growing now. It's going way faster than America by just the long shot. And it's illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to have a church. It's illegal to read a Bible. And here we have all that access, and we're terrified if our friend asks us about the Bible that we're holding, you know, when we walk into the, into the coffee shop. And so for me, and maybe for you, like, thinking about that experience, maybe I haven't experienced a ton of persecution because maybe you're thinking about it in a lens of, have I, have I had this opportunity where, like, I might go to jail for what I believe, or... Or, uh, or I might be actually harmed physically. Most of you probably haven't had that, but a lot of you probably have had these instances where you're on a group of friends and someone says something, and you know it's not okay, and you want to say something about it, but you're like, I, I don't want to upset the narrative right now of this group. Or 
or your friend is, I don't know, just bashing someone or something, and you want to speak light and truth into it, and you're like, oh, like I, I want to be nice, but I also like don't want to be that obnoxious Christian. I don't want to, I don't want to condemn them, right? That that I think is is way more palatable for us. So as we read this, persecution is not always just literally physical, um, physical fear, right? And the the Christians at this time were were dealing with that, but for us, it's I think much more social and, and, and based on our insecurity. So Matthew, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Starting in verse 16. I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to read the whole passage. And we haven't, we haven't done this before, but I actually really want to do it. If you wouldn't mind standing for this, uh, if you'd stand up. Normally we have a scripture reader. This week, I'm going to do it. Um, we have someone read the, read the scripture. And um, the reason why we do this is just because we believe there's there's power in these words and that we want to give them reverence, right? We don't want to just read through them like they're they're nothing special. And so I want to take a moment. The words will be on the screen or on your Bible if you want to, like, look in it. But we're going to start in verse 16, and then we're going to read to 25. It says, I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of people because they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings because of me, as a witness to them and the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over for trial, do not worry about how to speak or what to say, for what you should say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will hand over brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not greater than his teacher, nor a slave greater than the master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they defame the members of his household? You can all have a seat. All right. Um, th- this passage is like, when we read it, and, and I think at this point we're 10 chapters through Matthew, so if, if this is your first week, no problem. You just have a lot of listening to do online. <laughs> um, but it, we've been talking about this point where we, we get to this narrative of Jesus is building this kingdom, and this is kind of the language we like to use a contrast, is talking about the kingdom of God, right, and the kingdom coming on earth as we, we see it. And the kingdom is really just God's rule and reign. So when we talk about like, oh, God's kingdom is coming, what we're seeing is what Jesus is showing us in the Bible. It's not only just physical healing, demons being cast out, uh, people being raised from the dead, all these type of things, but it's also just this this freeing of, of not only physical oppression, but spiritual oppression, right? That there's sin in our lives that we cannot get rid of, and in the Old Testament, that was that they had sacrifices to try to get rid of that, and that, that we know that didn't work out very well. And so at the end of the day, Jesus dies for the for those sins, right? And what he's doing, though, is he's, he's showing the reality of this kingdom when it's lived out on earth. So for us, like as a church, we are essentially this kingdom outpost is the best way to talk about it. So this little building is a kingdom outpost for the area of Grandview, meaning that we get to be light in this area and let people see the reality of what Jesus does physically, but also in our hearts spiritually. And persecution comes, as Jesus talks about, because this is contrary, so this is Jesus' kingdom, contrary to the kingdom of the world. 
The kingdom of the world is like the things that you want that you know are not good for you. They know that you kill you. They know that cause selfishness, pride, ang- ang- anger, all these type of things. I don't need to explain that. You know of the bad in the world. You can read a newspaper or an email and you can tell pretty quick. But in this, there's going to always be tension between the two kingdoms because you can't live in both. In fact, a lot of Christians are lukewarm or people who are just maybe lukewarm or they're apathetic or whatever, they're trying to live in both and it's exhausting. And the analogy of like if you're sitting on the fence, I don't know about you, but if you thought about actually sitting on a fence, it's not comfortable and you can't do it very long because you're constantly having to maintain this balancing act and it's exhausting. And so for, for, for Christians, if I would say if you're not experiencing a level of persecution, and the persecution that I'm defining in the 21st century, then you're probably on the fence because you're probably, your kingdom is not contrasting with the world. I, um, I know I just used our church name, in the, so that's, that's great, contrasting, but um, it's fine. No, it's all right. I thought it was clever, but it's okay. We'll move on. We're in morning church now, so the jokes just don't, don't roll as much. Um, but Jesus, when he gives his initial Sermon on the Mount, which we talked about several weeks ago, he talks about who are the people that are in this kingdom, who are the people that get right to it, who are the people that are blessed. And one of the, the two blessings he gives is in verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. The very people who are blessed and who enjoy the kingdom of God, blessing is God with you, blessing in the kingdom of God, are the very people who are pursuing righteousness, but it is always at odds with the kingdom of the world. And so for us today, I just want to talk about, and I want to focus on, one, I want to talk about why we're so uh, consumed with the kingdom of the world, and two, um, how we realize that the kingdom of God is at odds with this, and it's actually a good thing. If these two kingdoms were integrated, it would, not, it, would, it would dilute the reality and the truth of what the gospel of Jesus is. If Jesus just came on earth and he was just a nice guy and he just said some cool things and he didn't die for our sins, we have a serious problem. Because a doctor on earth can heal a lot of people on their, on their life on earth, but as we know, every, all these things on earth are temporary. So if we go into, let's jump into verse 16 here. Jesus loves to talk about sheep. We love to talk about sheep. We, I probably know more about sheep than your average person because of the Bible, and so should you. But in verse 16, it says, I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What do we got going on here? We got a whole petting zoo in this verse. It's a lot going on. If we remember a couple weeks ago, one of, one of the coolest passages that we see about Jesus is this word splachnomasia, which is in Greek. I think I pronounced it right. I just acted confident when I said it. But is this Greek word that means gut, but in that time, your gut was essentially where your heart was. It's the same thing when, like, when you, when you, let's just say, like, there's this time where, like, I went up behind someone, I thought it was Sarah, and I was, like, touching them on the shoulder, and then they turn around, and it's not Sarah. You feel that, like, oh, like, that, that, you know, you're like, oh, gosh, I'm a pastor. This is not good. This is going to be out in 10 years, and it's going to be bad. Uh, and, and you feel that. You're just like, and you don't even, like, your brain, you're like, did my brain tell my gut to do that or my gut just was on its own? That's what it feels like. Jesus' gut felt like that, that, that visceral reaction to the, the, the depravity and, and the, the, the confusion of people and, and their lostness, right? Their kingdom of the world that's just, that just consuming them in darkness. And so we see that, and, and Jesus, his heart goes out to them, and he, ca- he calls them sheep. And we know sheep, sheep are helpless. They are stubborn. 
Uh, they're often confused. I talked about this weird fact that sheep can fall over and not be able to get back up, and they die if, unless, like, you go over and you flip them back over, almost like a turtle, which is just fascinating to me. Um, I've never seen a sheep flipped over and stuck, but it's real. I read it online, and and <laughs> so if you want to disprove me, go to, like, a petting zoo and ask if you could flip the sheep over and see if it can get back up. But 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 at the end of the day, like like, we are, we are, he's calling his disciples because he's sending them out on a mission, right? The last chapter we talked about this week, it was so fitting. Our first week here, we said, hey, this is a building. This is great. This can all burn down. It's just stuff. None of this is going to, like, Jesus in heaven is not going to be like, I really loved the brick in your guys' space. Really on point, really on trend. No, it's just stuff. And at the end of the day, the mission of God, and what we talked about last week, was we have to go, we have to be sent out, and we have to do what he tells us, which is to live the words of Jesus, through, through words, through talking, and also through deeds, through actions. Like, we have to be generous people. We have to be loving people. We have to be kind people. Not because we just want to try to be nice people in the world, because we have a motivation much deeper in our hearts from Jesus. But the problem is, is that the sheep are surrounded by wolves. Like, there's, no rea- there's a reality here that there's people that are not only pe- people that are against us, but there is a battle among us of spiritual warfare. And we don't like to talk about that because we're enlightened. We believe in science, you know. So, and obviously the, uh, their two are not at odds, but I think oftentimes we think they are. But there is this spiritual realm that, that is in, in the reality of the world that we live in. And if you haven't, if you don't believe that physically, I could take you to a bunch of other countries where it will blow your mind. The reality of the, spi- the spiritual realm intersecting the physical realm of people and demonic oppression and things like that. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 it says, For our struggle is not actually against flesh and blood, meaning the physical things of the world necessarily, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of the darkness, or principalities, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. In the heavens, in this sense, is, is not heaven, heaven, but it's talking about principalities. I don't know if, I don't know if you knew this, but I, I had no idea what principalities meant. Like I thought principal, people in authority, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Uh, I had to look this up, but it, it means basically an order of angels, and in this case, it's, it's evil angels, it's demons. And... Whether we realize it or not, there are demons actively attempting to stop, to stunt, to hinder the kingdom of God and its movement. There is going to be active attempts to stop what we are doing. Um, whether it's just our internet can't get set up for some dang reason. <laughs> I've just been here with the Spectrum guy, and we're just we're going to become best friends. Maybe he'll come to church. I don't know. But I was like, can I make you a coffee? You're going to be here a while, and I'm here, and I don't want to be here. And uh, whether we can, I, that, that's, that's the least of our worries, right? But there is a reality of demonic demons in this area, in our lives, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our, the, our relationships that want to drive a wedge in something that's going to cause light everywhere, right? That is the reality of the world we live in. And we don't often think about it. And I can remember there was a time when my mentor, Dr. Dave, um, I was talking to him and I said, yeah, me and Sarah are just really fighting right now. And I feel like we just, you know, you get in these arguments if you're married where it's like every little thing. You could be driving the car and it's like, oh, like you didn't, you didn't turn fast enough. Or, you know, you just, you're just petty. And it, you both feel on edge and, you know, you can almost look at each other and be like, I'm still mad at you, but this is really dumb and really petty. And I called him one time and I was talking about it. I said, well, like we've just been like so at each other and I don't know why. And he, he just said, well, he says, do you feel like you have any like big momentum things in your life? Like, that, that God is really trying to, you know, move you in. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, I, like, I have this, you know, big thing coming up next week. And he says, well, what can Satan do to ruin that for you? 
when you get up and you teach at this camp in front of hundreds of students and you, you want to share the gospel, right, what can he do to ruin that? He can make you feel like trash, make you feel like a hypocrite, make you feel like you're not worthy so that when you give the message that, I that, that God wants to give, you can't do it. So what is he going to do? He's going to take the closest person in your life and he's going to put them against you. And, and I, I mean, I remember it just, I was like, yeah, that's why you're my mentor. That sounds right. And I just remember sitting down with Sarah and just being like, hey, like, we need to pray against this. Like, I know I'm a sinner and I'm petty and I can be that way, but I think there is this looming oppression that is causing this reality between us. I think we're being attacked. And I remember just us praying and it was just changed the world, just claiming Jesus' name over that. And, and I think about that in our lives today, and it's a lot of times the persecution that we're experiencing is because we're not willing to acknowledge the battle that is going on. It's like we walk into war and we have like a foam sword and we're like, this should do the job. And then you see people around you getting hit and cut and killed and you're like, oh my gosh, I brought the wrong weapons and I totally underestimated the reality of this war. And the, the thing is, is we are at a war and it's not a war that we should be scared about because we know the outcome, but it's a war that we should be prepared and we should understand the reality of what it's going to do in our life. Because in that, we can understand persecution. Now, I want to get back to the petting, or the petting zoo here. In uh, verse, I think, 16, something like that. Uh, yeah, so it's 16. It says to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And, and, and you've probably read that, or wise as snakes, innocent as doves. Snakes, if we know the Bible, you say, I know the Bible, in the first few pages, there's a snake who does some bad things and causes Eve to sin in the garden and makes her eat, causes her to eat the apple, and then poof, it all goes bad from there. Um and so you read that, and you're like, Jesus is telling us to be like snakes? He's telling us to be like the serpent in the garden? And in this time, it's hard for us now. I don't know about, raise your hand. Do you raise your hand if you love snakes. Anybody, like, love snakes? It's okay. We're not going to judge you. Okay, the veterinarian, of course. You love snakes. Good for you. Good for you. You found your calling. Um, praise God. We, we all need one, right? One vet around. Uh, is, is, like, we look at snakes, and we're like, yeah, I don't want to be near that. Like, people are like, you want to hold my snake? And I'm like, no, I don't even know why you have a snake. Like, you pay money to have that thing live in your house. Like, we pay money in Arizona to get those out of our house and far, far away. The amount of rattlesnakes we'd see in Arizona. Uh, that's why we moved here. But um, just kidding. So uh, why is the serpents? And what it's talking about is the serpent was actually incredibly respected. In fact, if you remember, like, even Egyptian culture, serpents were on everything. And um, they were widely revered for their wisdom. And I know you're thinking, like, how can a snake be wise? But snakes are incredibly wise. The way they have to manipulate to be able to get their prey and even just live as snakes, they're incredibly wise. And so if you can minimize the scariness of them, the venom and their bite, snakes are incredibly brilliant. So that's what Jesus is saying. Be wise. So when you go out and when you're, what we just talked about, when you're living on a mission, when you're going out and you're sharing the gospel, when you're living in word and deed, don't be, don't be dumb. Like he's actually saying don't be uh, aloof. Don't be gullible to the world and what it might do to you. Be wise, be crafty, and even shrewd maybe. Shrewd has a negative connotation sometimes. But be shrewd. Because then he says, but be innocent as doves. I don't know if you've been around doves, but the only thing they're guilty of is just pooping and hooing. Because that's all they do. And I've never heard of people being attacked by doves, but maybe you have. I don't know. But doves are just incredibly, like, graceful, right? They're, they're innocent. And so he pairs these two together because he's saying, look, have some, have some intentionality in what you're doing. Meaning when I work at... Ohio State, you know, Wexner, like, when I go in, I need to be aware of what it looks like to be on mission in this place. Like, I can't just, maybe you can, but I can't just run in here and be like, hey, everyone, like, buddy the elf. Jesus loves you, you know, like, just accept it, you know, like, you can't be like his maybe enthusiasm all the time. Maybe if you're a surgeon, you're like, well, this is, I got to be a little bit more chill to operate on this person. But you think about how can I intentionally love people, right, in this space? 
But then you also have to have this innocence behind you because I think at the end of the day, some people feel like Christians have an angle on them. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I don't know if maybe you've done it, you're guilty of it, where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, like, get him to talk about this, and then I'm really, I'm going to hit him with a Jesus shot, like, just right here. It's, it's this idea of, like, can we just be real and honest and open-hearted about our lives and about what we believe in? And so it gives us this kind of beautiful posture in our hearts of what it means to share. But then, he, then the right after that, he goes from that, and he talks about the reality of persecution. He says in verse 17, he says, beware of people because they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in the synagogues, and you'll be brought before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them and to the Gentiles. <coughs> and, and obviously, you know, you read this, and you're like, okay, I haven't been flogged in a synagogue before, but you never know, it could happen. But you're not worried about that. You're worried about, like I said, you're worried about being socially ostracized. You're worried about losing a friend over your zeal for Jesus. You're, wor- you're worried about awkward Thanksgiving dinner conversations. I just had one of those, and man, I can't, can't wait for next Thanksgiving. And, um, but you're like, what do I do? How do I live my life? And it's not easy, right? But, but what we have to realize, and what I think is just super consoling, is this is what we sign up for. This is what we sign up for. When we follow Jesus, it is not a walk in the park. As Alex said, it is not peaches. Sometimes it's hard. And it's not hard because God is far away or God is leaving us. It's hard because we are a kingdom outpost of light in a world of darkness that is consuming people and anything around it. And we have, to f- we have to flirt with it. Like, we have to be around it, right? You can't just live in the hills. Sometimes people dream of this. You're like, I'd be, I wouldn't have mental illness if I just lived in a cabin in the woods and I didn't have to deal with people. I'm like, no, you would. You'd just be super lonely and isolated and be more afraid of bears than social situations. You'd still have it. You can't escape it. The world we live in has sinned. And, and so we're in that world. And, and the sooner that we acknowledge that following Jesus means that we follow the same level of persecution that he experienced is the most freeing thing. Because when we act like, oh, I want Jesus' kingdom, and he got beat up, but, like, I'm just, I hope, like, I don't have to deal with any of that. That'll be great. We're wanting the kingdom and without the king, right? We want his stuff without his, his life. And that is, at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about here is persecution is, we love the idea of Jesus as the Savior, but we, we have a really hard time with the idea of Jesus as, the, as Lord. Because the Lord, him calling us into this thing, is hard. It means we follow him, but we have to experience hardship. And we'd rather not do without hardship. Like, I'd rather just come home and watch Ted Lasso until, my, until I fall asleep and never talk to anyone, never deal with hard things, right? Like, that's, that's our default. And, and so I, at the end of the day, I think, like, you know, when we talk about our job, right, if our job is our, our life, our, our God, our idol, or m- our money, maybe we're not, we're not generous, like our time, right? The reason why we are holding those things so tightly is because at the end of the day, we don't really trust, and we're not really like leaning into the fact that our life is, is, is called to persecution. It's called to hardship. It's called to even be offensive sometimes. And so what, what happens is, um, at the end of the day, what, what happens is we see that People will, it says people hate, it says everyone will hate you. That's a little broad, but everyone will hate you for what you do because the world that you're living in the kingdom is different than the world, the kingdom of the world. It just, it has to be. Think about it. Like, there's generous people in the world, but the, the, the Sermon on the Mount calls us to love our enemy deeply, to turn our cheek, to, to pray for them. What does the world tell you about your enemies? Like, there's a lot of reality TV shows that say some, they tell you like, well, let's talk about them and slander them and gossip at them and maybe attack them or or whatever, right, let's say malicious things about them, like, it, they will not coincide, the two worlds, they will clash, 
And at the end of the day, like like you said, even maybe you're work you're work you're a workaholic, right? That's a thing of the world. You can't slow down. You can't rest. And for you, you 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 want to experience you want to experience persecution because you're so terrified of what it would be like to be a man who people can't say is he's a hardworking guy. Like you're terrified. You don't want to be known as lazy or apathetic. So you work 80 hours a week, and then you're not around your family, your friends, or whatever. But you're succumbing to the world, and you're terrified of the persecution of once again social ostracization. And what that is, when you think about it, and this is what I want to get to, this is the big idea, I don't even have it in here, but I think it's a big idea, is the level of persecution that we're willing to engage with and experience with is always correlative to the depth of our union with Christ, of our relationship with Christ. Meaning, if I'm a man and I work 80 hours a week and I, like, you can't tell me not to, right? That's just what I do, right? At the end of the day, I'm insecure. I'm insecure because I think my job is what defines me, and that is not what Jesus says. My job is important. We're called to be workers and stewards of this earth. My job is not what defines me. And Jesus speaks truth and life through that. And he says, you know, here's what, here's what you are. You're my son. And you're, this is, and you, and, you know, I want you to rest, right, and all these type of things. And so we, we withhold the ability to, to experience persecution because we're insecure, because our relationship with Jesus is not in, in tandem. And so at the end of the day, when people read the, pas- the passage last week, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, and he just sends them out with nothing. I don't know if you remember that. He's like, don't take a cloak. Don't take your Nintendo Switch. Don't take an extra pair of shoes. You got one pair of shoes, sandals. Those are not all terrain. So, like, that's, that's already terrifying, right? And just go out and just, like, and, and just live among these people. If they welcome you, great. If they don't, wipe the dust off, right? Live among these people. Now, if you're a disciple you're immediately, and you're in this world, you're immediately thinking, like, man, what happens if, like, we can't find a home? What happens if we're homeless? What happens if we can't find food? And, and, and why Jesus does that, because he could have just, like, been like, hey, stay here, sleep here, we'll have money here, and then you just go to house to house in the morning, you come back, and you'll be fine. He does that because when he pushes them to the edge, and he knows they're going to get persecuted, what is their only hope and trust in that? Jesus. Is it their money? No. Is it their possessions? No. Is it their potential bed that night? No. It's none of those things. They can't fall back to the kingdom of the world. There's no, they've, they've separated themselves so far in their life. That they can't even, they can't even, like, grab that. It's, uh, Sarah, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, but Sarah recently got a light phone. We got her one for Christmas, which is, like, a minimal phone. Doesn't have social media and all this type of stuff. And the reason people say, well, why don't you just turn your iPhone into a dumb phone? And I'm like, I don't know if you try that. It doesn't work. I try to put my iPhone on grayscale. You can do that. They say it's less engaging. It's terrible. I don't want to use it. And so what I do is I put it on grayscale in the morning, and then before I know it, I want to check an app, and I'm like, oh, I want the colors. And so I turn the colors back on, and then... I'm done, right? The rest of the day, I'm just on my iPhone with color. So there's something about removing that actual device and putting yourself in an environment where, like, this is all you have. That is what Jesus did with the disciples. He put them in this environment where this is all you have, and you don't even got to worry about that stuff. And so for us, persecution, like I said, we're not willing to be persecuted. We're not willing to be bold because we're, our life is still so comfortable, and we're still living in these sinful, broken um, what we think are securities, that are ultimately not. You're a workaholic because you don't want to acknowledge the reality of you think that your foundation is built upon what you do rather than who you are. And you, you won't give and you're not generous and, you, and you're not generous with your time, money, treasure, whatever, your talents, because you feel like if I, if I give this away, I might not have, right? I might not have. Or even worse in America, if I give then like it's 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 like uh, then I then I you know I might need to receive or oh I don't want to be awkward like I don't want to give them this and then they have to pay me back like we have this weird thing where oh no no I'll get you back and it's like no it's really okay we feel guilty about that I don't know if you've lost sleep at night being like 
that person paid for my meal and I need to figure out in the next six weeks how to, how to have them for dinner and pay for their meal. You know, like we get like that. And, and we just can't, we, we, we are so embedded in our security of what people think of us and our, and our identities are misrooted. And, and so in verse 19 and 20, it says, when they hand you over for trial, do not worry about how to speak or what to say or for what you should give. What you should say will be given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the spirit of the Father speaking through you. Now, this, this right here, I think, is, is one of the coolest things. So we're kind of transitioning here. So here's why we're not persecuted, because ultimately we, we, we're not trusting that Jesus is actually filling the deepest desires of our heart. We're letting this kingdom fill it, and we, we have a really hard time because of that being terrified of people not liking us, us experiencing social ostracization, us feeling like our work, our job, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were, we're not working as much, or whatever it is, right? You name your thing. Now we're moving on to the reality of let's step into this. Let's just say today you're like, man, I just, I need to be more bold in my faith. Like, I, I don't know what my next step is, but I feel this tugging. I feel the Holy Spirit. I need to take this next step, right? I need, maybe there's this person I need to share my faith with, or there's this, like, I don't know, maybe you need to join a group or something. I'm not trying to plug anything, but maybe there's just something, right? You feel it. What do I do about it now? Here is what is, happens. Jesus sends out these 12 average men who are not educated to go share the gospel to all these people. And, and he says, don't worry, you know, the Spirit's power, I'm giving my authority on you. In this instance, here's what he says. He says, whenever they hand you over for trial, which is going to happen, whenever you face persecution, don't worry about it. Don't even worry about what to say. I don't know if you've had this moment where you're like, ooh, I'm in this spot. With my, like, I, I have this opportunity to share my faith. But you're like terrified. You're like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confuse them who God is. I'm going to, whatever, they're going to be afraid. Like, you're in this moment. It literally says, don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't be afraid of how to speak or what to say. For what you should say will be given to you at this time. So a lot of us, for persecution and for social embarrassment, all these type of things, we're terrified about, like, this, this is going to cause a rift in relationship. We're not going to say the right thing. Right? I, I sh- I'm not a... I haven't been to Bible school. I'm not like Trey. I don't know the Bible really well. I don't, I don't have all this figured out. I don't want to share. 12, 12 average men who really were just the biggest ragtag group of kids, they're teenagers, most of them, went out and they did this. And here's, here's how they did it. Here's why. If you read the book of Acts, which is the story right after Jesus dies and ascends, it's called the Acts because it's A-C-T-S, because it's the Acts of the Apostles, right after Jesus the first few verses, it says this, Jesus, as he's leaving, they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, all the earth, right? He gives them power. He gives them the Spirit who can work and guide in their life. And then I just want to give you a little cliff notes of what happens over these next few chapters. These 12 guys who all abandoned Jesus when he was crucified and hid in a basement or an upper room, like hid away, right, terrified of Rome, law enforcement, Pharisees, all this type of stuff. Just a few weeks later, here's what they do. They, they're, they're gathering around after this. They're praying. Jesus had ascended into heaven. And uh, all of a sudden, this Holy Spirit hits. It's crazy. starts speaking all these different languages. People are like, oh, they're drunk. And they're like, no, we're not. It's 9 a.m. We're not that crazy. And, and then, then Peter gives a speech, just, just, just drops bombs on the gospel, like the good news. 3,000 people come to faith in that moment. Then, the next day, they go to the temple, which is like the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, tons of people, all that, right? Then they heal, man, in the temple area where all the people are changing money. You're like, oh, man, I have this illness. I need to go give this sacrifice so that I'm cleaning the temple. And then they just heal a guy right there. And everyone sees it, and they're like, what is going on? Peter heals them. And then a few more thousand come to faith. And then the religious leaders of the temple, you know, they're getting mad. They're like, whoa, what are you doing here? This is not okay. I thought we killed this Jesus guy. And then... 
Peter and John explain the, uh, the, the good news, the gospel. Right? They're arguing with the seminary students, right? Like, if I had my PhD in Bible, it'd be like me and you get in an argument, and I'm like, oh, you're, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. You're wrong. And then, basically, that's what Peter and John are about to do to these Pharisees. They give them the speech. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Acts. I've read it probably several times, but it says this. They go before some of the most intimidating people they'll probably ever encounter with potentially the, faith, the, the threat of death. And it says, whenever they had spoken, Peter and John, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and discovered that they were uneducated, ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized these men had been with Jesus. And because they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say against this. Let the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit in you, heal people in our lives and let that power have nothing to say against you. Because when you're willing to step into persecution, God is not leaving you. The book of Acts is very indicative of that. Crazy things happen in the book of Acts. Thousands are coming into Christ. And I just think about in our church and the, the people that we, you know, we send off into our, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, right? Like, we just need to lean more into the Holy Spirit. We need to trust that persecution is inevitable, but that God is not just, like, pushing us off. This narrow gate is a walk hand-in-hand hand with Jesus. It's not like, you go up on a fr in front of me and I hope nothing happens. He is walking hand-in-hand hand with us. And that is what you see in the book of Acts. And you see thousands come to Christ because they're in prayer. They're, they're just giving everything to one another. They're, like, they're just in this really sweet spot. And so I just, I want to close with just this idea that, like, we are in this really sweet spot. You know, we are in this spot where we get to start something. We get to love a community. We get to be a part of something. We get to walk hand in hand, and at the end of the day, that we must be willing to experience the same level of persecution that Jesus experienced. And that's what verse 24 and 25 is all about to close. Is, it says, a disciple is not greater than his teacher, nor a slave greater than his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and the slave like his master. And the next verse is the same idea. It's just that if Jesus was willing to suffer this much, we also have to be willing to suffer this much. So what in your life are you purposely stepping away from? Are you afraid of? Are you not willing to step into? Because you're just not willing. You're not trusting the spirit will truly give you confidence, freedom, and power in that moment. And so as I invite the band up um, to kind of transition the service, I just, I just want to think about, I just want to think about that. And, and I know that we have such a singular kind of, myopic perspective on this because, like I said, persecution for us is far different than what it looks like in China or in other, even other unnamed countries where you can't even, you know, we have missionaries there you can't even talk about. Is that, you know, there are people in countries who right now who, who are coming to faith, who are being baptized, that the second they're baptized know that they probably could be dead the next few weeks. And we have a hard time asking for prayer in the back because it's embarrassing, Right? And so just having that perspective of like there is spiritual oppression in our lives that is so embedded into our insecurities and the fact that we just feel so terrified of what people think of us. We feel so terrified of having to be humble or honest that we don't do it. And I just want to push you in this moment that there are people dying for Jesus and you're not even willing to, to you know, get off your phone for an hour for Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you that this is not something to make you feel guilty. This is why we always close with the same thing we do every Sunday is, is the Lord's Supper. And so if you have that, you can take that. There's also some in the back on that table. It's a juice and a bread. And what that is, is that's Jesus' last meal with his disciples. He said, hey, you know, I'm leaving, and this is a symbol of what I'm doing for you. That you can't do it on your own. You might feel guilty about your inadequacies and things you can't do. And so I'm going to, to sacrifice myself so that 
that guilt is removed and you have freedom and you have hope. And that you can go out and you can share your faith because at the end of the day, who cares? We're on earth for a short amount of time. All this is temporary. But we know there's eternity in light of that. And so uh, if you want to take that, if you follow Jesus, that's an, a simple opportunity for you to reflect on the sacrifice Jesus made. Because we are not to be a church of guilt. Guilt is of the devil. It is demonic. We are to be a church of freedom and of hope. And this is what gives us that. So I want to encourage you. Uh, Nick's going to play a little bit. Uh, and for you to take time to um, partake in that or just reflect on the teaching. Or We also have people in the back who would love to pray for you if, if you have anything on your heart. And then we're going to close in uh, one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.